Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. He says, well, I want to go home and play with these birds. He says, well, what are you going to do with them after you're done playing with them? He says, I'll feed them to my cat. And the preacher said, well, how much do you want for them birds? He says, well, I never thought about it before, but he began to think. He figured, well, I can make some money, see? He says, a couple of dollars. Give me a couple of dollars. So he gave him a couple of dollars. And he took the bird cage, went down an alley, and let the birds go. Opened up the little gate and shoot them out and said, go ahead. You know. Didn't think anything of it until he went to preach his next sermon, and he brought the bird cage with him. Set up on the pulpit. See, I didn't bring a bird cage with me, but he set up on the pulpit with him, and he proceeded to talk about Jesus and the devil. And he said, see, that bird cage was a type of bondage to them little birdies. And all that little boy was going to do with them birds was play with them for a while and then go kill them, feed them to a cat. And so Jesus looked over to the devil and said, what are you going to do with them people down there? After Satan took over the authority, took over the power that Adam had in the beginning. He says, what are you going to do with all them people down there? He says, well, I'm going to fool around with them, play with them for a while, make them kill each other, make them take dope, drink alcohol, make a lot of them just have a whole bunch of heartaches and divorces and all kind of problems. And then after I get done playing with them, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to feed them to the fire. And Jesus looked over to the devil and said, how much you want for them? The devil said, all you got. And Jesus said, I'll pay the price. He came down to this earth, paid the price, full price, and he opened up the gate and set humanity free. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. He says, I'll pay the price. And he set the captives free. That's what this day symbolizes to you and me. But bless God, we're going to see it in a better light. You remember back there we've been talking about the Abrahamic covenant and how they got delivered from the Egyptian bondage and what a great day it was for Israel. There was not one feeble among their tribe. There was not one sick. There was not one miscarriage. There was not one premature death so long as they obeyed God. And that was the deliverance that they had when they got set free. Are you ready to get your freedom today? Are you ready to find out how free you are in Jesus? 1 Corinthians 11 chapter. Begin reading at verse 23. And Paul, quoting Jesus, really, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
For this cause, circle those three important words. For this cause. For this reason, for this cause, many are weak, sickly among you, and many die. For this cause, many are weak, many are sickly, and many die. If Paul was writing to the church today, the body of Christ today, in some churches, if he preached that kind of a sermon, they'd say, condemnation. You're preaching condemnation. Paul's preaching the gospel. He said to them, the reason why you're weak, the reason why you're sickly, and the reason why many die prematurely is because you don't rightly discern the Lord's body. That's the body and blood of the Lord. But we're going to rightly discern it as we go on. Let's finish reading. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. God doesn't want us to be condemned with the world. Paul preached against sin. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 33, verse 34, verse... He said, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Right? Awake to righteousness and sin not. Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He's writing to a full gospel church. He's writing to a New Testament church. He said, sin not. Sin not against the blood of the Lamb. Now, we want to bring this out to you in a clear way. It's impossible for me to give all that's necessary in the Blood Covenant series to bring us to the fullest of importance and understanding concerning the Lord's table. But I'm going to endeavor to give you all the highlights now and then begin teaching the whole thing tonight when we meet again, step by step. But I'm going to give you all the highlights right now. And then, like I said, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. And if you come weak, if you come sickly, and if you even come on the verge of death, get ready to get set free. Get your track shoes on. I mean, get your bags packed. And get yourself ready to run free because he's opening up the gate. He's going to open up like them little birdies and said, Go ahead, little birdies, be free. And who the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. Stand fast in the liberty where Christ has set you free and you'll be free indeed. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. It's very important that we understand and have a revelation of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. He said, Many are weak. Sickly and many die because you don't understand the body of the Lord. That body was a sacrificed lamb that was slain. It included his blood. Not just the body, but the body and the blood. Healing is involved in the blood too. Don't kid yourself. It's not just the body. The body stands for the whole body of Christ. The body and blood. The broken body and the shed blood. 9 chapter verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Under the Abrahamic covenant, they offered up, at this time of the year, they offered up sacrifice animals, bulls, lambs, etc., as a sacrifice for their sin. They were covered by the blood. They partook of the, the, the lamb. They ate it. And, of course, they had a deliverance. That first covenant was powerful enough to cause people to walk holy before God. The, the nation of Israel were a people that were separate from the other nations of the world. They had the Ten Commandments, they had the law, and they lived a holier life than the other people, supposedly, because of the law and the commandments of God. And he's saying, if the blood of a goat and a bull could cause people to live holy lives after the flesh, how much, look at the next verse, how much more, say that with me, how much more. 
See, it's not condemnation to preach, hey, brother, sister, you shouldn't be living in sin. That's not condemnation. That's preaching the gospel. That's preaching the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. If an animal sacrifice can keep uh, the Israelites from sinning continually against God, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ keep you and me and purge us, as this scripture says? Let's go on. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more shall we, being sanctified, not covered by the blood, but cleansed by the blood, not having the flesh of an animal, but the flesh of the living Son of God, my flesh is meat indeed, and except you partake of my flesh, eat my flesh, and drink my blood, you have no life in you. How much more partaken of the Word of God, which has life in it, cleansed by the blood, and they only had a glory cloud to, deli- to, to lead them on their way of deliverance, right? They had the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to lead them to, you know. You and I have got the glory, the Holy Ghost, in us. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost, so we've got the blood in us, amen? We've got the flesh, the Word, in us, and we've got the Holy Ghost in us. Not leading us out there, but in us. How much more then shall the blood of Christ purge us and our conscience from dead works to serve the living God in a holy way? He's holy. Be therefore holy. The blood of Christ makes us holy. Sin shall not have dominion over you or me. And when we don't allow sin to have dominion over us, the devil cannot touch us. We are free indeed. Amen? Okay, now that's the blood of Christ. And we're going to start from the beginning and see how the blood of Christ has got to be understood for perfect deliverance. Go back to Luke's Gospel. 22nd chapter. And as I said, this is in connection with the covenant series. And what we'll do is give you highlights and then we'll go and teach it in greater depth as we continue our series. But today I just want to give you some highlights. There's too much to give. But this, these highlights will bring you to a better understanding concerning the Lord's table that you're about to partake from. Okay? In the 20, 39th verse of the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The blood. Let's take a look at the blood. Let's realize the blood. Let's highly esteem the blood of Jesus so that we're not weak, sickly, and don't die prematurely. 39th verse. And he, he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying... Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Stop there. He said, if thou be willing, Father, let this cup be removed from me. I want to share something with you. The cup that he took on the night of the Passover, the fourth inverted cup, which was the cup of the Messiah, that cup that he took was signifying the new covenant. He was instituting the new covenant. But the supper he was taking was the last Passover supper. He was the last lamb to be slain. He took that cup and partook of it and drank from it. But realize this. The new covenant was not yet established. It was not yet in existence. It was about to be, but it wasn't as of yet. So that's not really the true new covenant meal. There's going to be a new covenant meal, but that wasn't the true new covenant meal. That new covenant meal is the marriage feast of the Lamb. And we're all going to be around that table, friends. Hallelujah. I'll show you why. Because when he took that cup and said, this cup, you see, this cup 
is the New Testament in my blood. His blood wasn't shed yet, was it? Now listen. Here in the garden, he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup. See? He didn't fulfill it yet. Remove this cup from me. If there's another way possible that I could redeem humanity, remove this cup from me, but yet not my will, but thine will be done. Let's read on. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of what? Falling down to the ground. Here we have the first place that the blood of Jesus is actually shed. Realize this. Not discerning the Lord's body and blood. Realize that everywhere we see Him shedding blood, there's a, a significant meaning behind it. The blood that was shed. He was so much in prayer. He so agonized in prayer. He, he didn't want to have His will be done. He wanted to have the Father's will be done. And when you find out exactly how He had to suffer and what He knew He was going to suffer, then you'll realize why the Master had to agonize in prayer to go through with this thing. He wasn't just going to suffer death. He was going to suffer the pains of hell. He was going to go there and suffer for you and me, which I'll explain in a minute. That lamb that was sacrificed back there in Exodus, which this is a type of, he is a type of, was the lamb roasted, not boiled, but the lamb roasted. He must fulfill that part of Scripture. He must be the sacrificed lamb after his death. He must be roasted. He must be burned. In other words, he's going to go to Hades and he's going to suffer for our sins until the claims of justice set him free. Now, here he is. He's agonizing in prayer. He's striving in prayer. Against what? Against sin. What sin? The sin of yielding to his own will and not to the will of the Father. You have not yet resisted under blood against sin. But Jesus did. He was so agonizing in prayer. I mean, he was so... So much in the Spirit and praying and interceding and groaning from within that it... And this is medically proven. You can be so much under that kind of pressure that through your pores could actually have blood. Blood could pour out of your sweat and drop to the ground. Jesus was so agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane because of what He was about to enter into that until He knew He had the victory, He didn't come out of that prayer. And it was so powerful that an angel came and ministered unto him. But he did sweat, as it were, drops of blood. What is that saying to you and me? You and I can resist sin under blood. Listen. When we are tempted to sin, when we are tempted to yield our will to do wrong, this business about, well, I just couldn't help it, God don't want to hear it. God don't want to hear it. Yield your will unto God, if need be, under blood, striving against sin like Jesus did in the garden. When you go on a fast and your wife bakes a cake, and you walk by that cake and you smell that cake, and you said, I'm starting to fast, and all of a sudden you smell that cake, how long does it take you to say, well, I'll start tomorrow? Boy, you wasn't very strong-willed, were you? <laughs> Maybe strong-smelling, but, you know, you see... We don't have to do that. And if, it, if need be, under blood, strive against sin. Under blood, resist sin. Under blood, resist yielding to your own will and not the will of God. Then do it. That's what he's saying right here. That's the first significant meaning of that blood. Your will. You yield your will to God if need be under blood. 
Hallelujah. Okay, now, that's the cup that he's talking about that he, has, he wanted to remove, but he couldn't have it removed. It was the cup of suffering. And he would be the lamb. He would be the Exodus 12 lamb roasted because of sin. Now, in, turn with me to Psalm 22. I'm going to give you this scripture because the whole psalm, I can't, you can't read all the prophetic scriptures about the death of Christ, but this will help you. If you read the whole 22nd psalm, it's referring, it's prophetic, it refers to the death of our Lord and all that He suffered on Calvary. God had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. When he was made sin on that cross, it's very important that we begin to understand, realize, and know all of what he became because he became what he became so that we could become what he would be. He became sin. He became sickness. He became disease. He became accursed so you and I could be set free. So you and I can be righteous, be healed, be delivered, and be free. Now, he should have been crowned the King of Glory. He should have been crowned Lord over the universe. He should have been crowned King of the Jews. But he wasn't. Instead, we find the second place blood is shed in these last few days, and that's the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns. Not placed upon his head, but I mean pounded into his head. Rupturing those blood vessels, the blood pouring out of his head, crowned as a king with crown of thorns. Now listen, Adam was crowned with glory. Psalm 8, read it. He was crowned. See, the word crowning just means covered. He was covered with glory. That was the crown of, the, of, of God's creation, crowned with glory. He was the king over the universe, over the earth rather. God gave him dominion over all the earth. Are we not, he, he's a king of who? Kings? Kings. Adam was a king. He reigned as a king. We are to reign in king, as kings in Christ. Okay, so here's Jesus on the cross. Or, or before he gets to the cross, he's crowned with this, thro- this crown of thorns. Blood begins to pour. What's it a type of? It's a type of shame. He's not crowned with glory. He's crowned with humiliation and shame. I mean, he's going to be hung naked on a cross before a bunch of people become accursed of God, and the crowning of it all is the curse of the law. It's the crowning of death. He becomes king of shame. There wasn't anybody that was lower than him, more shame, shameful than him. You see, when Adam sinned, he was naked and ashamed before God, wasn't he? Well, Jesus became what Adam was in the lowest degree, which this scripture points out. Look at verse 6, 22, verse 6. Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a what? A worm. That is the polar worm. That is a maggot. Polar worm. The blood of that worm is used for scarlet dye. It's the dye they use for the scarlet thread and so on and so forth. It's the same color. It's the perfect blood, the perfect color. That's why they use that worm. Jesus had the perfect blood to shed. But yet... Perfect blood, but yet he's made the worm. I am a worm and no man. And the phrase no man is a Hebrew phrase. That means he should have been somebody great. He should have been the king of the Jews. But yet he's just the opposite. He's made to be humiliated. He's made to be shameful. He's there stark naked. He's there before a bunch of people. Hanging there on the cross with blood 
See, it was the authority of death. He became the absolute authority of all that Adam did, the shame of it all, the humiliation of all, the lowest form of human degradation. He became it all on Calvary. And the crowning was the crown. Can you imagine being clothed and covered with shame instead of glory? Yeah, just Jesus, our King of kings, our Lord of lords. 24th Psalm. See, the 23rd Psalm is prophetic. It's the age in which we live. But the 24th Psalm is also prophetic. And it's talking about His soon coming kingdom. And it says over there in the 24th Psalm, it says, Lift up your head, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall appear. He may have died the King of shame, clothed and covered with humiliation and shame, but bless God, when He raised up from that the dead, He raised up the King of all glory. King of all glory to appear in the presence of the Father for you and me. That's the second place. So that tells me I don't have to be accursed. I don't have to have shame. See, but I also must humble myself as He did before the Father and before you, my brothers and sisters. Okay? That word there, that's what it means. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, verse 7, it says He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a, a sheep, the lamb is before her shears dumb, He openeth not His mouth. He did not defend Himself. He didn't speak back. He didn't try to justify His actions. He didn't try to do anything to defend His life or to defend anything. He just went as a lamb before the slaughter without opening His mouth. Although He was the righteousness of God. Although He was the Son of the living God. Okay, now we see another place that the blood is shed. And remember, every place you see the shedding of blood, it's a, there's a significant spiritual meaning behind it. Where the Roman lictor took a cat of nine tails, sliced his back 39 times, ripped it open with each strike. At the end of that cat of nine tails, they've got some kind of metal or stone or something that would just dig into the back. It wasn't just a little whip. This thing would go in and in and just tear the flesh right off his back. 39 times. Now, hear me. Medically speaking, it's, it's to my, brought, at least someone speculated, and said that there are at least 39 categories in which we can put sickness and disease. And Jesus had 39 stripes placed on his back. And no matter how many cures they find, they always end up with 39 categories of sickness and disease. And there are 39 stripes upon his back. What significance? With his stripes, you were... 1 Peter 2.24 says, With his stripes, you were... See, not rightly dividing, not rightly understanding the Lord's body. With his stripes, you were healed. Now, those were not the stripes of the Roman lictor that healed us. It's not the 39 physical stripes upon his back. Sickness and disease, then, would only be a physical thing. But sickness and disease is far more than that. It's a spiritual thing. And in Isaiah 53.10, it says, It pleased Jehovah to bruise him. And the word stripes means bruises. It's with his bruises we were healed. He became sickness on that cross because Jehovah had placed on him the bruisings of us all, the sickness and disease of us all. Jehovah bruised him with sickness and disease. Again, we have the blood poured out of his back. For what purpose? For you and me to be healed in our bodies. Why do you think there was no, not one feeble among their tribes? They were all healed. I mean, two million Jews, old people, young people, crippled people, blind people, maimed people. When they partook of the flesh of that sacrificial lamb, ate that lamb, put it inside their bodies, they were whole. They put on their track shoes. They took off for running. They were delivered. They were free. There wasn't one feeble among their tribe. And that was only a substitute lamb. 
Hallelujah! You've got the real lamb in you. I've got the real lamb in me. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. With his stripes, I'm healed, friends. You're healed with those stripes. I've got the real lamb of God in me. See? You see what the significant meaning? The blood that was shed on his back. Symbolic of his bruisings with sickness and disease so that you and I can walk free from sickness and disease. And of course, he became the full curse on the tree. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Now that word a curse, a curse from God. You go back in the Old Covenant and you'll find out that a man that was hanging on a tree was a curse of God. Forsaken of God. See, God had nothing to do with them. Now are you ready for it? You can hear the cry out. Are you still in the 22nd Psalm? Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you... This is Jesus speaking, friends. Why have you forsaken me? The old covenant has come to a close. He's now the lamb. He's now on the tree. He's the scapegoat. He's dying. They sharpen the knives. They're ready to, sacri- to kill the sacrificial lambs, the, high, the priests and the high priest. High priest is ready to go in and make an offering for sin for the people once a year at this Passover. But all of a sudden, we hear the cry. He's a cursed of God. He's separated from God. The Father can't look on him. He's made sin for us. Who knew no sin? My God, Jesus cries out. Why would you ever hear him call his Father God like that? My God, why have you forsaken me? He just said to them in John, he said, You can forsake me, you can leave me, but the Father, he's always with me. But not now. Not now that he's made sin. He cries out, You've forsaken me. Why have you forsaken me? John's Gospel, the 20th chapter. Why have you forsaken me? Because he's become accursed of God. There on that tree, we find the last place that the blood is spilled for you and me. The blood of Jesus is spilled in the last place for you and me. From his head, we understand that. On his back, we understand that. Sweating blood, prayer, agonizing in prayer. Now when he's put to the tree, his hands, his feet, and the final blow is the spear to the heart. Now if you, ever, if you understand crucifixion, you'll know that the means of death is suffocation. When you're in that position and you're up upon that cross, it's very difficult to breathe because there's nothing to support you. See? And so what they do is they throw themselves back to breathe with their legs to get breath. And then when they fall back, it's hard to breathe. See, they can't breathe. They can't catch their breath. All that pressure's up here on the lungs, see? And so they're hanging there. And remember that the other two that were not dead yet, that they came in, they broke their legs. They broke their legs so they couldn't use their legs to breathe. And so they just... With broken legs, they couldn't push themselves back up and now they died immediately from suffocation. They couldn't breathe. But not so in the case of Jesus. Not so. There was not one bone broken in his body. How did he die? Well, they saw that Jesus was already dead so they didn't break his bones. And when they went over, they put a thrust of spirit through his side. And the way that the water and blood came out proved that he died of a ruptured heart. Of a broken heart. 
wounded in the house of his blood covenant friends, he couldn't bear it. Jesus died of a broken heart. And the blood and the water came pouring out. Brothers and sisters, that tells me that I should love you unto death. He loved, and they were wicked, and He loved them. And when He said, Israel, Israel, I would have taken you into my arms, under my wings. He died of a broken heart. The natural children sold their birthright. Greater love hath no man than this, that this man lay down his life. You and I are called to lay down our life for the brethren. The fourth place, love. Walking in love. Love out of a pure heart. What's the beginning of the commandment? Thou shalt love one another. What is the end of the commandment? 1 Timothy 1.5 tells you the end. Now, the end of the commandment is this. Charity out of a pure heart. Conscience, a good conscience. What did Hebrews 9.14 say? Purify your conscience. And faith unfeigned. Jesus died of a broken heart. Now that he's dead, his body goes to its resting place in the tomb, Joseph's tomb. His spirit must now be, it must fulfill the lamb that was roasted. He must enter into death. Listen to me. If being raised from physical death could save the world, then Lazarus should have been our Savior. Was not Lazarus raised from physical death? But Abraham's bosom was not a place of pain and suffering. Well, if, if Jesus in that garden was agonizing just because of physical death, well, why didn't he just sit down when he was talking to Lazarus? He, he talked to Lazarus. He raised him from the dead. He said, Lazarus, how was it down there? He probably said, man, I was in Abraham's bosom and I was having a hallelujah time. I was having a party. We was all talking about how wonderful we were comforted. Didn't, didn't Abraham say that he's comforted? Didn't he? The rich man was in Hades burning, but in Lazarus' bosom he was comforted. Lazarus was. See, this separate Lazarus. But this Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, he wasn't crying about it. He told Jesus how good it was in Abraham's bosom, how he was comforted there. But Jesus called him out of death. Well, why didn't he be the Savior then? If Jesus was only going to raise up out of physical death, well, the Lazarus could have been our Savior. But no, 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 no. This Jesus was born out of death. The first begotten out of, of the Father, out of literal death, annihilation in hell. The lowest form entered into the lowest pit, Psalm 88, that's in the hell, to suffer for you and for me so that we could be born out of death. I'll give you chapter and verse. Acts, the second chapter, you read right on down, verse 27, right on down through 33, and you'll see where it says, His soul was not left in Hades. The word Hades is the same word that's used for the rich man that entered into Hades. Okay. Now, we've got to see him not only as the sacrificed lamb suffering for us, but now we've got to see him as the high priest. Now, the high priest had to first offer a sacrifice for his sin and then for the sins of the people of Israel. Jesus' offering was the offering of himself for sin in hell. God the Father looked down from heaven, leaned over the banisters and said, I'm satisfied with what he has done. He has suffered enough. Raise him up 
and he spoke and said, Thou art my beloved son, this day have I begotten thee. And he gave birth to him. Now listen. He said, Oh my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me before he died? Forsaken of God. But all of a sudden, look at this verse in John 20. When he, ro- when he rose from the dead, he appeared to Mary, and he said to Mary in verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my who? And my who? Listen, my father and your father, my God and your God. He just said, I'm forsaken my God, why have you forsaken me? That's before he died. But after he raises up from the dead, he says, I'm a son unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. You go tell Peter, you go tell James, you go tell John, you go tell everybody that I'm going into the presence of the Father. Don't touch me. I can't be defiled. I'm the high priest. I've got to go and offer up my blood. So don't touch me yet. He says, but when I go up there to appear before the Father, all of a sudden he raises from the dead like as though sin had never been. Like as though he didn't become sin. He is so righteous when he's raised from the dead, he can go sit at the right hand of the majesty on high as the high priest to ever live to make intercession for you and me. Like as though he never sinned. Like as though he never became sin. And you in the new birth have been declared so righteous you can walk into the presence of the Father as though sin never existed in your life. Hallelujah. That's how free we are from sin. Now, can you see... You've got to see this now. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to teach it in depth. But you've got to see this. You have got to see what took place. Jesus, when he was born again in hell, raised out of death, walked over to the devil, the adversary, stripped him, and the shame wherewith Jesus was clothed, he turned over to the devil. He stripped him of the authority that he had from Adam, took it back, and left him ashamed in front of all his cohorts. Left him naked. Left him shame, shameful. Humiliated him in the front of all of his cohorts in the regions of the dam. He raised up out of death. He stood there in the garden which he suffered. And said, I am he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have now the authority. He is crowned king of glory. But it's not done yet. That was for himself. But now he enters into the presence of the Father. Remember the high priest was supposed to enter into the presence to offer up the sacrifice of an animal lamb? But the Shekinah glory left. The Bible says that when Jesus died, that the, that the veil of the temple was rent in twain. The Shekinah glory of God that was supposed to be there was gone. And you could see right into the Holy of Holies. Well, God wasn't hanging around for no animal sacrifice. He went back up into glory to wait for the sacrifice of His Son with His own blood. And if you can just visualize this and see this and, and meditate upon this, when Jesus got up in the glory, when he got there to the throne of God, here he is approaching a place that 4,000 years previously man was kicked out of. Adam was banned from. He was kicked out of glory. He was not allowed to approach the tree of life. He wasn't allowed to enter in to partake of that tree lest he live forever in that condition, sinful condition. Man never approached that throne again once he put those cherubim, those flaming swords to protect it, the tree of life. To stop them from coming to that throne of God, to, to approach God. And there we see Jesus, 4,000 years later, as a rec- resurrected man. He gave birth to him, the Father did. He stands before the throne of God. He walks up to that place that Adam was kicked out of. 
The cherubim are there. The flaming swords are there. But when they recognize Him as the Savior of the world, as they see Him as the sacrificed Lamb from the foundations of the world, they part. They let Him walk up to the throne of God. The Father looks over at the Son. And Jesus is not with a basin. He doesn't have blood in a basin like they did with the animals with a branch of hyssop. And he doesn't do that. He walks over there, probably with the markings in his hand, probably with the blood dripping from his forehead, with his back open, with his side bursted, and leans over the mercy seat. Hallelujah. The heavenly utensils of worship. And offers up the sacrifice for eternal redemption. I mean, it's quiet in heaven. I mean to tell you, you got your shoes on, ready? You got your track shoes on? Now, when they partook of this supper, he said, get your shoes on because you're getting out of Egypt. And there he is. But they had to apply the blood and they had to eat the lamb, right? Now, there he is. The father says, I accept your blood as an offering for the human race. I accept your blood as perfect cleansing for all of what Adam's sin had done. I've got a name for you as my blood covenant man. The name above every other name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord to my glory and honor. Purchased us with his own blood. Made us kings and priests unto God. Now here it is. After the sacrifice is accepted. See, the covenant meal doesn't take place until the end, not the beginning. It's a feast. You don't feast before the battle's won. You feast after the victory has come. He accepts the blood. The blood is received and accepted. And now He calls by His Spirit. Anybody, whosoever will, let him come freely and drink of the fountain of life. You've got to apply the blood. You've got to eat the flesh. That's the blood of Jesus. That's the Word of God. And the Holy Ghost will be in you. Not out there leading you, covering you, in you. Now, this lamb, this sacrificed lamb, the literal lamb, provided such a redemption from Egypt that there was no sick among them. There were no miscarriages. There were no premature deaths. When they kept the covenant, there were no premature deaths. I mean, there was no miscarriages. There was no barren wives, barren cattle. There, and, I mean, it was so perfect when they kept the covenant. And this was only a sacrificed lamb. Beloved, are you ready to fly? You're not being delivered out of Egypt. If you've come weak, sickly, in bondage, fearful, when you partake of this supper, you are partaking of the Lamb of God. When you received Him as your Savior, you had a blood transfusion. You overcome by the blood that's running through you. The blood of the Lamb and the Word, God's Word of your testimony. The flesh, that's the Word. Eat all the Word. Eat all the Word. All the Lamb had to be eaten. Eat all the Word of God. Take the blood. Apply the blood. Receive the Holy Ghost. You see, they had a pillar of fire. Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. You receive Him into your spirit. You become the temple of the living God. On the day that the church was born, when they were born out of death, they passed out of death. They were not passing out of Egypt. They passed out of death. Bondage. Out of Satan's dominion into the kingdom and the family of the living God. And if the blood of an animal can do that, how much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ deliver us, save us from the wrath, and set us free? Heal us and keep us protected and keep us whole. Well, I don't know about you, but I've been delivered. I've got my track shoes on. 
Behind me might be sickness and disease and garbage and all the things you could think of that the devil's got tra- trying to get me from behind. I'm not standing to look back. I'm not looking back. I'm going to keep my track shoes on. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on eating the Word. Eating the Word. I'm going to keep on running to the promised land. And when I get there, I'm going to turn around and look him in the face and laugh at him. Hallelujah. The faster you get there, the better off it is. Now, if you've come this morning with sickness in your body, if you come this morning down, and I mean just, you know, troubled, if you've come, what you're going to do right now is say this. My life is yours. Your life is mine. And that marriage feast, listen, that marriage feast, the covenant meal, is the Lamb's Supper. Remember the marriage supper of the Lamb that we've all been invited to? But the natural children, they didn't want to take the invitation. They were too busy. I've got to go do this, and I've got to go do that, and I've got to go do this. Well, listen to me. The table's not full yet. Didn't you know that? When you invite guests to your house, you, you wait till everybody gets there. You should anyhow. Well, listen. The Father is waiting to partake of that covenant victorious meal, the final victory meal. He's waiting for every redeemed person to come. They sat around a table and had the feast of the Passover for a week and rejoiced in their deliverance. But you and I, we're going to sit around the king's table. We're going to sit around the throne of God. We're going to be served by the master himself and it's going to be the covenant meal and we will partake of that blood, the wine, and the bread, the body of the Lord as a token of final victory over Satan, his demon forces, sickness, disease, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying. Bless God, only victory in Jesus. And he's going to serve us. This is that table. And he's waiting for us all to be there with him. Can you see how big that table is going to be? Ooh, glory. You got your shoes on? You ready to run? When you put that in you, start to run it. If you couldn't walk, walk. If you couldn't raise your hand because it hurt, raise it up. You'll be healed. You'll be healed. You'll be delivered. I mean, you'll be delivered. You'll be healed. You'll be set free. If that lamb can do it, this lamb is far greater than that other lamb. If you're a feeble arthritis, couldn't move, move. You'll be healed. You'll be delivered. Someone told me when they left this morning, I got it. I got it. When they walked out, they walked out delivered. Said, the bondage is gone. I'm free. I'm free. After they had the Lord's Supper. Weak, sickly, die because they don't know the Lord's Supper, the blood, the body, total freedom, victory. If I could have the musicians to come up, if I can have the officers to come up, if I can have Debbie to come up, we're going to sing this song. She's going to sing this song. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. You got your shoes on? You ready to fly? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.